Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today, Pastor Tony begins a new sermon series exploring the early Christian church through our 21st century lens. Jesus has died and resurrected, and we find ourselves asking, then what? Scripture tells us the early church experienced persecution and internal dissent, but somehow, kind of rather paradoxically, it experiences substantial growth. Just how did a handful of followers grow into 30 million in just 300 years and into the largest religion in the world today? We begin our search in Galatians 1, 11 to 14, in which the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia that he helped to found. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Planet of the Apes. Perhaps you remember in 1968 when the movie came out, it was quite a thriller. What's amazing is the stuff that happened behind the scenes. Stuff that perhaps you are not even aware of. Now, to understand Planet of the Apes and what was happening behind the scenes, first have to describe to you that the movie was made in purpose to show different uh, social statuses when it came to the primates. The orangutans were in charge. And then from there, it broke down into the apes, and then from the apes to the chimpanzees. Now, off-site... When, I mean, offset, when you weren't seeing them actually in films, you would actually see an image like this. And what's interesting is, is these individuals, when they were in character, they actually maintained the same social status and the idea of separation. They didn't do it on purpose. So it ended up that those who were made up as orangutans at lunch, they would eat together. The apes would eat together, and the monkeys would eat together. And again, none of this was done on purpose. They naturally gravitated to those who were like them. There is an expression that says the following. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who divide the world into two kinds of people and those who don't. Well, unfortunately, the majority of us are in that first group of people. That idea of separating us and them is very much hardwired into our brains. It happens so quickly 
that we are not even aware of it. A study was done to prove this. They took an individual and they put them in an MRI. Once in the MRI, they flashed images at a 50 millisecond. That's 20th of a second. This speed was such that it would be barely, you would be, barely be able to even recognize the images it popped up that quickly. What they discovered was that as you saw these images appear, if you saw someone who looked differently than you, who had a different skin color than you, your amygdala would fire. Now, the amygdala does a wide variety of things, but it, we know it as the seat of fear and also aggression. Imagine that. It doesn't matter what color the person is inside of the MRI. White, brown, black, doesn't matter. They are going to have the same response. The MRI doesn't tell the difference between skin colors. All it's doing is watching. <clears throat> Excuse me. And all it's doing is watching the activity of your brain. And when that activity happens, it registers it. Another study was done. They had individuals watch a film. And as they were watching the film, you would notice on the film that someone took a needle and they poked the skin. Well, again, what happens is, as you're watching that film, your motor, motor cortex kicks in. And, to different degrees, individuals would clench their fist. Imagine that. It wasn't even happening to them. But their brains responded to what they were seeing. Now, here's where it gets interesting. If that person on the screen was of a different color than you, you would be not as likely to respond as strongly to that needle poke. Now, again, you're not, the brain isn't choosing, you're not choosing to respond. This is automatic. It's happening far quicker than you could probably even think it through. The one that I found very interesting, and I don't know how they studied this one, but studies show that individuals think less of atheists when they have just walked by a church. Isn't that amazing? So imagine what's going to happen after you leave here today you're probably not going to think very highly of atheists. What we're talking about, this separation between them and us, happens automatically in our minds. And it happens on an emotional level. One study I read described how we as human beings that we basically, we are like an elephant. And the elephant represents our emotions. And on top of the elephant, 
sits reason, our rational minds, and it's a monkey. Now imagine that monkey trying to steer that elephant. Just not going to happen. What they have shown over and over is that we are emotional beings, and when something happens, as in this study, that you see someone who is different than you, it is an automatic emotional response. But because we like to make meaning out of things, our mind comes up with a reason for why we're feeling this emotion. So we give meaning to that which we feel. In our minds, we think we're just being rational. But studies again have showed that it's actually the opposite, an emotional response, and then we give meaning to it. But we think that meaning is true. Recently, I have part... I had to participate in a class called Decentering Whiteness. It's one that is through our conference that all of us have to participate in. It becomes an awareness of being white and the privileges that come with that. As I was participating in this, one of the thoughts that continually entered my mind was this sense of shame. The problem is I can't change the fact that I'm white. Nothing I can do about it. But at times, those thoughts will come into my mind or feelings I will become aware of if I pay attention to them when I see someone different than me. And this is just my opinion. And if you disagree with me, great because then we'll have something to talk about. But it seems to be in our society today, there's a lot of shame being placed upon people because of how they feel to people that are different than them. But when I read these studies, I realize This is just who I am. It's part of my mind. It's it's hardwired into me. Now, that does not excuse my behavior. It does not excuse me for the way I treat other people, the way I speak about other people. But perhaps we ought to be a little bit easier on ourselves and others and realize that what is taking place within us is part of what it means to be a homo sapien. So what in the world are we talking about this in church for? Well, the reason why we're talking about this is because it immediately impacts what took place after Easter. After Jesus was no longer physically present on this earth. One of the first things that we read about is about Paul's life. Some people speculated that Paul was anywhere from a few months to a few years that he had 
what is called his conversion experience. But it was during this period of time prior to his conversion that Paul tells us what his life was like. Now, you can read about this in Acts, but to really probably get a better picture is to go to the source himself, and that is in the book of Galatians. Listen again what the text says. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely, how to an extraordinary degree, I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. What's fascinating is that word in the original language, to destroy, is the same word that is used for an army attacking a city. It has that kind of hostility to it. So Paul is saying, look, I'm out to get rid of these people. He continues, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my age among my people, and I was extremely, extremely zealous. I was passionate. I was eager to destroy them. So my question is, why? Now, if Paul was doing it, more than likely, he wasn't the only one. There was probably other people who were out to get their fellow Jew. Now, notice I didn't use the word Christian. Because at this point, there was no, quote, church. There were no Christians they were all Jews. But they were a group of Jews who believed differently. So the question is, why would Paul go after his own people? The answer is that they were different than the majority of them. They were of them, and Paul and the rest were us. So remember what we talked about, that if you have someone who's different than you, we naturally will feel aggression or somewhat hesitant about them and see them possibly even as a threat. And that can express itself anywhere from a microaggression to an all-out all-out act of hostility. And apparently, that's what Paul's doing. He's out to eliminate these people who believe differently than the majority of his fellow Jews. What was it? What was, the di what was this whole thing about? Jesus. As we mentioned on Easter Sunday, there were individuals who believed that they had seen Jesus. More than likely, probably not a resuscitated body, but some kind of vision or some kind of appearance that was something other than just what Jesus was prior to his death. 
these individuals who believed in that, they begin to believe that Jesus was, and here's the key word to understand, at this time, is they believed he was the Messiah. Well, what's the big deal? It's a really big deal. Because the majority of people believed that the Messiah was to be this powerful being. I mean, for how long Israel had been oppressed and had been subject to other nations? They were tired of it. Their history, their tradition said that they were God's people. So they were looking for a sense of independence. Much like Ukraine right now is feeling the threat of losing their dependence. I mean, independence. So these people wanted their independence again, and they believed that God would send them a Messiah. Well, then along come these group of Jews who say, no, 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 no. Jesus was the Messiah. And they go, no, that's anathema, that's heresy. The Messiah will not die on a cross. We have to, sh I'm sorry, we have to quiet these people down. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, this church has been quite a challenge for me. When I first came here, um, you, you've given me a great deal of freedom, and with a great deal of freedom comes many responsibilities, and one of those, now I actually have to pay attention to what I'm saying, and because words will come to my mind more frequently than they used to. So they made him be quiet, because they can't have that. So they begin to encourage people like Paul to persecute them, these Christians, these Jews who were on the fringes. You know what's amazing? Is that Paul has this conversion experience where he sees Jesus more than likely in a vision, believes that Jesus is alive, converts, sees Jesus as this new Messiah, and you know what happens? They start persecuting him. He was one of them. But as soon as he moved away, you're, they're not going to tolerate that. In, in 2 Corinthians, it says, Paul says that five times he was lashed 40 strikes less one a punishment that would take place within the Jewish synagogue. As soon as Paul decided to believe differently than the majority, he was in trouble. Why? Because it all starts with this up here. Through evolution, we have developed brains, and the way we developed them was to protect ourselves. Let me tell you really quickly about Joe. Joe lived thousands and thousands of years ago. Joe was 
actually pre-homo sapien. Joe lived within a clan, and Joe's personality was such that he never knew a stranger. When Joe would hear someone coming along a path rather than hiding, Joe would go out, Hey, buddy! Joe never had children because Joe died when he was young. We learned at a young age that people that are different than us are a threat to us. It's part of our brains. But now we have the choice to how we will respond to people that are different than us. I offer you two possibilities for you to consider. You cannot control this part of your brain unless we go in there and cut out your amygdala. You're not going to be able to control it. It's just going to happen. But when your brain kicks in and gives meaning to this emotion, that's where you make a choice. And two things that you can do can stop yourself from acting or continuing to think and go down a certain path when it comes to other people that are different than you. Number one, remember that people that are different from you have the same goals that you do. People that are different than you, who look different you, than you, who identify gender different, differently than you, who have a sexual orientation that's different than you, who live in a different place than you live. And folks, I'm going to bring it home to Church of the Beatitudes in just a minute. I'm coming to it, but will you pay attention now? But all of these people that are different than us, they all have the same goals as us. They want to feel safe. They want to feel love, and they want to love. They have dreams. They want a meaning for their life. They want a sense of purpose so that when they go through the difficult times in life, they realize, yes, but here's why I'm here. This is who I am and why I exist. That's just like all of us. And if we do that, we immediately begin to take in our brains and squash this huge dichotomy between us and we begin to narrow that. So that's number one. Number two, individuate. Individuate versus essentialate. Let me explain the difference. Typically, when we see them, you know what I'm talking about, that church down there, them. Those people that live in South Phoenix, them. 
What we do is when we see groups of people that are different than us, and it does, it's more than just race. We tend to categorize people together, and when we do that, we believe that the essence of those people are all the same. When I first came to Church of the Beatitudes, I talked to people who didn't attend here. And you know what they said about us? Oh, that's where all the wealthy, snooty people go. There are young people that have visited this church that have told me afterwards, well, I like the service, but I'm not comfortable there because there's so many blue-haired people. Well, first of all, we don't have blue hair in this church. But you know what I'm talking about. What they did is they insinuate. They assumed that because we're all basically of the same age, that we must all be the same. And we do that all the time. When you individuate, you begin to see people within the group. One writer says to try the following. If you catch your thoughts and you begin to see someone that's, you know what I'm talking about, right? That young man who's walking down, who knows why he's wearing a belt, correct? I mean, his pants are down to here and he's still got a belt on. We make assumptions about them. But if you ask yourself, the next time you catch yourself making those, those thoughts kick in, and remember, they're kicking in because the emotion has already been activated, and you have no control of it. Once you're aware of it, however, and you see someone who's differently than you, maybe you feel threatened by them, maybe you look at them derogatory, and you don't want to feel that way, you don't want to look at them that way, here's what you can do. Ask yourself this question. I wonder, what kind of vegetable do they like? Now, why would you do that? Because immediately, you've made them an individual. You no longer see them and classify them as a bigger group of people. You see them as a person who has their own goals and dreams in life. So that's why Paul ended up doing what he did and being treated the way he did or the way he was. That's why religious groups continue to do this to each other. It's a part of our nature. It's part of our wiring. But each and every one of us have a choice Today, you can choose to leave this place and live your life a little differently than you did before you came in here. When I consider the life of Jesus, nowhere in the Bible does it say this. 
But when I read about the stories and the words that he said that these individuals decades later remembered or created about him, they give us a picture, in my opinion, of someone who was open to growth, to becoming what it really means to be a human being. So please, do two things. Number one, release the shame that comes from our society because of the way you feel. And don't place that shame on other people. But number two, make choices about how you're going to live your life despite what naturally happens within you. Man, what a difference we could have in our world. That's why I believe in this church. That's why I believe in you. Because we can make a difference today. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.